Beautiful singing, beautiful singing. Welcome to Bible Center Church. So good to see you today. Uh, on this beautiful spring morning, winter is gone. Spring is here for good. No more cold weather at whatsoever. We can only hope. My name is Matt Friend. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's great. Uh, worship with the Lord with you and serving our city with you, serving the uh, Canal Valley, this region, greater Charleston area. We want to be a church Charleston can't live without, and of course by that we're referring to the entire area, that we would not rest until every person, man, woman, and child, has heard the gospel of Jesus, and you're a part of that. So it's great having you here, and we'll move forward together. I want to start today by telling you a story about an eight-year-old girl who nearly starved. Her name is Susie for the sake of this story, and while her name is imaginary, her story is very, very real. It could be told hundreds, if not thousands of times over from children who grew up, uh, maybe some of you or your parents who grew up in the Great Depression, particularly in parts of the country uh, that were the most affected. Susie, as she grew more hungry, uh, she grew more tired. Uh, her gums begin to change color. Her skin changed color. She had a hard time focusing at school. And you see, Susie grew up in a good home, uh, but her mom and dad were farmers in western Oklahoma. And if you've heard about the Dust Bowl in western Oklahoma and northern Texas, you remember that for the space of about eight years, there was no or very little rain. In the 1920s, in that area of western Oklahoma, the rains were plentiful. You could almost make a small fortune if you were a farmer. But in 1931, the rain stopped. And of course, with the rain stopping, the crops also nearly ceased to grow. There were some other factors that contributed to the Dust Bowl, like some poor farming habits and so on. But nevertheless, Susie was too young to really know what was going on. One day she walked into her dad's barn and her dad was there by the seed, by the grain, and he was crying. She had never seen her tough, manly, burly father cry. And so she did what every little girl would do. She uh, threw up her little weak arms and tried to jump into her daddy's arms and her daddy grabbed her. And over time she would learn exactly what happened on that day. Going through their minds at the time was a real dilemma. Susie's mom and dad were trying to decide, do we use the grain that we have left? For eight years or seven years, they had planted the seed, but with no rain, there was no harvest. And they had just enough left to be able to plant for one more time. And they were asking questions like, do we plant the seed and hope for rain one more year, or do we take the grain that's here, grind it, and use it as bread to feed our daughter one last time. Susie's parents knew way down deep they ultimately wouldn't let her starve. Uh, they would move back east like many of their neighbors had done, but you know it bothered them to see her losing weight. It bothered the father to see his wife uh, losing weight in an unhealthy way to the point that she was sick uh, and losing strength. Even he no longer had jeans that fit uh, pants that fit, and so he had to use his pocket knife to puncture new holes in his belt to be able to hold up his pants and his clothes. But finally, in the fall of 1939, something happened. 
in the fall of 1939, it was as if the heavens opened and the rains came down and for weeks it rained and weeks and weeks until the soil eventually turned from dust black to rich soil over time and Susie's father and mother became successful farmers like many others who held out in western Oklahoma. The principle from that story speaks well to what Jesus was, uh, to which Jesus was referring here in Luke chapter nine, and that is, in order to pl- to sow, uh, excuse me, in order to reap, we have to sow. In order to get a harvest, something has to be planted. We could say it this way: the only way to gain is to lose. Everything has a price, every valuable commodity has a cost, and if we want to reap a harvest, we have to sow the seed. Our vision for Bible Center is to be a church Charleston can't live without. And in 2018, again, as we've said, we want to move forward and grow together and celebrate and go all in. But Jesus reminds us at the very beginning of this year that in order for that to happen, it's going to cost us something. We know we can never earn our salvation. That comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. But in order to follow Christ and make an impact in any generation, it has always cost people their priorities, their lives, their time, their talent, their treasures, their focus. And so we need to imagine what if, just like Susie's parents, what if we didn't make that shift in our thinking? What if in 2018 we said, you know, it is all about us. Let's just focus on us and not focus on our city. Let's not try to reach any more people to Jesus. Let's just focus on us. What would happen? I'm convinced that for a short period of time, we would see some joy. We would see some excitement. Just like Susie would have loved to torn into the food and, and had more to eat and put meat back on her bones. But just like her father, we're called to take a risk. And that is to win by losing, to plant, to sow, and pray that God brings the harvest. Today, I'm going to challenge us with three things that we may be called to lose. Three things that God will give us in return. And finally, I'll conclude with an encouragement, a challenge before we pray. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 9, and I'll read in Luke chapter 9, and starting in verse 51, and I invite you to stand as I read Luke 9, 51 through 62. As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciple James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Some translations say rebuked them sharply. Then he and the disciples went into another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we choose to follow Jesus, first this morning, let's look at three things we may lose this year in 2018. Number one, we may lose earthly comfort. We may lose earthly comfort. In verse 57, the first man said, I will follow you wherever you go. Kind of sounds like the Apostle Peter. I've done that. Lord, no matter what, I'm going to put you first in my life. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't calling all Christians in order to be good Christians to sell their homes, to sell all their possessions, and only focus on this particular aspect of the kingdom. It's important for us as we translate or under, interpret these passages to know that Jesus was calling this man individually to give this up. We're going to see in this passage there's three different people and there's three different encouragements, three different challenges and so we learn from that that Jesus knew what each of them was holding onto above the rest. So for this particular guy, it was the comforts of home. It was the security of home. And Jesus knew that. And so he said, hey, if you're going to follow me, I know what's near and dear to your heart. I know what your idols are. I want you to follow me and forsake all, even the comforts and security of home. Jesus made it very clear to this man. The crown can never come before the cross. The crown can never come before a cross. Jesus, in verse 51, started towards Jerusalem to die on the cross for our sins. And in essence, he said, I'm on my way to a cross. And so if you're choosing to follow me, you're on your way to a cross too. And he invited the man, he called the man, he challenged the man to give up his comfort. Now we have to ask, is pleasure wrong? Is comfort wrong? If, if you were here last Sunday, or if you weren't, you can go back and see it on the app or on the website. I preached for five or ten minutes in last week's sermon proving that pleasure and comfort are not sinful. They're gifts from God. It is okay. But there are times when God calls us to, to give up our comfort for the sake of the kingdom. And so as long as we're holding it open-handed, realizing it's his, not ours, then we can enjoy it as a gift from God in due season. But one of the myths of America, maybe West Virginia more so, is this myth of security, right? Uh, one of the recent shootings one of my kids asked, well, or said, it's so great that we live in West Virginia, Dad, you know, because this stuff would never happen in West Virginia. And as a father, we have to tell our kids that West Virginia is not immune. They love living here because they say there's no tornadoes like there was in Louisville, so they don't have to worry about sitting in the, in the floor of their schools with their hands over their heads. But if there's not tornadoes, there's other things. There's nowhere in life we can go that is completely and totally physically secure. Today, there could be an oncoming driver swerve out of his lane and hit you head on before you make it home. There could be food in the restaurants where we eat uh, that make us sick or even take our lives. A stroke may paralyze you before the week is out or some deranged madman could, could go on a shooting spree in downtown Charleston. And let us not believe that somehow because we're Christians, we're immune to any of this. 
But Jesus reminds his disciples that we give up our comforts. We give up our comforts when the Lord so speaks so that we can see other people come into the kingdom. I want to brag on you for just a minute. I've been here two years And the church, you may not have noticed, but there's been a number of changes that we've made in the church. You probably haven't noticed, but but for the two people who have, if you're new, you're like, what is the world going on? You can totally ignore this. But we've made a number of changes. And the elders and I and the pastor and I were working together as a band of brothers to to make them in the right time in the right way. And and we'll do things well and some things we won't do well and we'll try. And that's just the joy of a growing church. I just want to thank you for the way that you have stepped up and said, Matt, we are going to, so many of you, we will do whatever it takes to reach Charleston for Christ. We say, how big do you want Bible Center to be? I think that's really the wrong question. It doesn't matter how how much the Lord chooses to grow our church. I'm more concerned with the tens of thousands of people this morning who are in church nowhere in Charleston or maybe have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. If you want to know how big my vision is, just get a picture of Charleston or the entire Canal Valley and that, by God's grace, must be the size of our vision. Will all of those people choose to come to Bible Center when they find faith in Jesus? Probably not. I certainly hope we're, we're among the top of their list. But whether they go to church and where they grow, that's their business and the Lord's business. But God has invited us to think bigger than ourselves, to be a church Charleston can't live without. And let us not rest until every man, woman, boy, and girl have heard the saving news of Jesus Christ. That's why he has us here. And as we grow and mature in our faith, we can do that and go across the street and go across town and share the gospel more effectively. What you've done in the last two years to give and sacrifice yourselves and your time and your talents and your treasures for us to be able to stop, start this adoption and foster care advocacy ministry or to children affected by special needs or in our counseling department. Pastor Ted is a, a certified addiction counselor. The sacrifices that some of you have made for us to bring our middle school ministry and high school ministry here. For 10 years, our middle school and high school met on a completely different campus. And some of you said, I'm going to give up my comfort to make sure we are all on one campus together. So more middle school and high school students can know Christ. What some of you do for Union Mission and Crossroads Crisis Pregnancy Center or ministries that you do with your neighbors that nobody else knows about, thank God for you because in so giving up our comfort, we can point to the cross and one day point to the crown. We may have to give up some comfort and it hurts, it's hard, but that's what he calls us to do. Number two, Jesus also says we may have to give up some earthly traditions We may have to give up some earthly traditions. In verse 59, Jesus said to another man, very simple, follow me. This man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now let's stop for just a minute and think about how harsh that sounds. I mean, if you were going to bury your mom or your dad and Jesus came to you and said, no, there's no time. You can't do that. Don't go back. Just follow me. That would be really hard to digest. My parents are young. I don't look forward to the day. Uh, Lord willing, he'll come back first that I have to be a part of that in their life. But if Jesus said that to me, that would be very, very hard. 
This past week, our church family experienced a, a number of, of people that we love who passed away. Uh, June Bupp had been married to Jim almost 71 years, stepped into eternity just a few days ago. We're going to celebrate her funeral here tomorrow uh, from 4 to 6. Um, TJ Meadows and Justin Meadows called yesterday and found out that their 65-year-old dad stepped into eternity, G.H. Meadows, just totally by surprise. And so we picture Jesus going to them and, and, and saying, no, you can't go to the funeral. You can't celebrate their life. You, you've got to follow me. Yesterday, we honored Bill Cole, and there were some others. Why did Jesus do this? Is he saying that it's wrong to always go to a funeral? Is that what Jesus was saying? Well, of course not. In this particular instance, Jesus was leaving. He was heading south and heading to the cross. Time was of the essence. So in context, he's saying to this man, if you're going to go to Jerusalem with me, you don't have to go home, time to go home and pack your bags. You come with me now. Many scholars believe that the man, his father, wasn't even dead. But it was customary for a son to live at home as long as it took for his parents to pass away. And many believe that's what the man was referring to. But either way, Jesus was attacking a cultural and religious tradition. Burying the dead, especially one's father, touches the heart of Jewish piety as a deed of loving kindness seen as, as one of the highest of good works. Burying a parent was the chief responsibility of a son. And it was a religious duty that for only for very, very small reasons could you ever get out of. Jesus was telling this disciple that the sacrifice of the cross is higher and greater than any cultural tradition, any religious tradition, that sometimes God calls us to do the uncomfortable for the sake of reaching the lost. If we read the Gospel of Luke, we find that Jesus did this all the time. One of my good friends and I were talking this week, and I was talking about, have you noticed how Jesus pokes a lot at people? He pokes at the religious leaders. He never poked, never poked. They never bought the people who were down and out, the people who were hurting. Who were the, he, he loved them and showed compassion. But the people who were trying to bring in words and religion that God never gave, Jesus poked. One of my good friends reminded me, he says, yeah, but you remember that what they did to him, they crucified him. So we got to be careful in the way we do ministry. That's a good word. But, you know, when we think about legalists, let me tell you what I think of. I think about everybody else but me, people who aren't willing to give up a religious tradition. But last night I was at a basketball game, and it occurred to me that as I'm thinking about tradition and legalism, God invites me first to think about me. It illustrates itself well in this basketball game. Uh, last night, George Washington girls, which, by the way, I never thought I'd like girls basketball. So I have a daughter who plays for G-Dub. Now it's like, is there any other sport? Like, this is great. And so we played uh, the governor's team, uh, Greenbrier East. I didn't think the governor actually showed up to these games, but he does. And he came walking into the gym over here at G-Dub, and he was coaching Greenbrier East. They were 10-0, and 0, okay? So, so it was an intense game. A good, they were ranked number two. I think we are ranked number eight. And you, the gym was packed. It was rocking. Uh, the, but, every, you know, the, the ref would make a call, and the person sitting to my left would, like, foam at the mouth and get angry and throw things. And the person sitting to my right would foam at the mouth and get angry and throw things. And I'm talking about my wife and my father-in-law. Um, <laughs> just kidding, Dad. Just kidding. Sarah's in the next service. 
Don't tell her I said that. Uh, and, and, and the ref would make a call against Greenbrier East, and we're all like, yeah, man, great call, good call, ref. And they're, 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 have, they're, they're just going crazy. Then the ref would make a call against us, and we were standing up, and we're going crazy because, you see, when the calls are made against somebody else, you're like, yeah, it's not a big deal. But we never think about the calls being made against us. And what I want to invite you to do over the next few months as we walk through the Gospel of Luke, instead of thinking about the people sitting on your row who, who you think may be legalistic, ask God, God, where in my heart am I not like Jesus? Where have I added religious law above your word? God, weed that out of me. And I'm going to pray that as your senior pastor for my heart as well, that God would use us to love his word and to love the person of Jesus Christ more than any tradition or cultural expectation. And may he grant us wisdom. It takes wisdom and time to navigate these waters. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, One of the marks of a certain type of bad man is that he cannot give up a thing himself without wanting everyone else to give it up. I do that. I've done that. That is not the Christian way. An individual Christian may see fit to give up sorts of things for special reasons like marriage or meat or drink or the cinema, but the moment he starts saying these things are bad in of themselves or looking down his nose at other people who do not use them, he has taken the wrong turning. Jesus this year may call us to give up some comforts, may call us to give up some traditions. Number three, Jesus may call us to give up earthly relationships earthly relationships. Another man in this passage so boldly declares, I will follow you, verse 61. But Lord, first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Most of us have heard the plow illustration about how we've got to, to, to focus on the things ahead. How many of you have ever plowed before? You've ever plowed a garden? How many have ever plowed a garden with not a gas or electric plow, but like a real old-fashioned plow? Brett, you've done that? Wow, a lot of you have done that. I, I look, it looks, looks miserable, actually. It looks terrible. Uh, you know, if I try to mow grass, sometimes I mow grass with my phone so I can listen to podcasts, and if I'm like scrolling through Facebook while I'm mowing the grass, bad things happen. When we're plowing or we're mowing grass, he, he says, look forward, look ahead, watch where you're going, don't look back. And here Jesus calls us to do the same in our walk with him. In context, he's talking about family. He's talking about relationships. This particular individual did not want to leave his, the comfort of his relationships, earthly relationships, uh, for the sake of following Jesus. And Jesus said, you've got to. He knew that was this man's idol. And sometimes he'll call us to do the very same thing. I remember when we started our first community group in Louisville. After I'd moved over there, Pastor Mike was a part of that church and some others. Pastor Lee Walker and Marty's daughter and their son-in-law was in our group. And we were co-leaders and it was time to multiply our group. And you know how these groups are. If you're in a, a group that meets here on Sundays or if you're in a group that meets as a men's group or a women's group, you get close as a group. But after a while, the group got so big, we couldn't all fit in their house and couldn't fit in our house, so it was time to multiply. Groups never divide. They always multiply. So it was time to multiply. And we were like digging our heels in, like, no, 
we just will stop meeting in a house. We'll meet somewhere else because I don't want to go to group and know that that person's no longer part of the group. I want them to be in my group forever because I get secure in the people that I know and I'll never forget our elders saying, you've got to sometimes lose relationships to make room for more relationships. And of course, those people just lived a few miles away. But I wanted them in my group. But when we divided and separated into two groups, we had some neighbors, uh, uh, Brian and Virginia, that, that were, weren't yet married and, and not yet in the kingdom of heaven. And, and Brian and Virginia started hanging out with us. And next thing you know, Brian and Virginia uh, invited us to go out for pizza with them. And they said, we want to be Christians. We want what you have and what's going on in that group. And Brian and Virginia bowed their heads and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And their daughter, who went to school with my girls, came into our group. And we realized because we multiplied and let go of some relationships, more relationships could be birthed. Maybe you've been at Bible Center a long time and you say, Pastor Matt, I just don't know people by name anymore. And that bothers me. Well, I want you to know it bothers me too. Uh, just don't do what I do. and Don't try to pretend like you know somebody's name. You know, like, hey, Bob, great to see you. No, my name is Sam or something like that. Don't do that. But as our church grows big and large, we also grow small. And the people that we can know is probably only between 50 to 100 people. And so instead of being upset about the people we don't know, we can be excited about more people who know Jesus. Instead of being worried about who knows my name, I can be excited about who knows the name of Christ. And so as we move forward following Christ, there's relationships. Some of you are taking care of your elderly parents. You're not able to hang with your friends like you used to. That's, that's serving Jesus. That's a sacrifice. Some of you moms take care of small kids, and you're lucky once a month to be able to hang out with another mom. Even just to speak like adult language, you would love that without somebody slobbering or throwing up on you. I, I get that. That's a sacrifice. Jesus knows. Jesus sees. Maybe it's leaving your, your circle of friends today to greet somebody who's sitting alone or somebody who you've never met. Or maybe it's, it's praying that God would use our children in ways outside of our sphere of influence. What if God called your child to make an impact for the kingdom by starting a business in Europe? What if God called your child to be a, macho, a missionary to, to France or, or to South? What if God called our children? He, this is what he's calling us to do, to get to the place where we say, I want the kingdom more than my relationships. And when we get to that place, then we're ready to be a church Charleston can't live without. This week I was reading some story of lukewarm churches, and I thought this was interesting. Here's a list of the hymns we would sing if we were a church that was, you know, all about ourselves. We're not, but if we were, these are the hymns we would sing. If you're familiar with church at all, some of these may make sense. If you're not, you can just tune out the next 60 seconds. Instead of singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, if we were about ourselves and our comfort, we would sing, A Comfy Mattress is Our God. Instead of singing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, we might sing, Joyful, Joyful, We Kinda Like Thee. My hope is built on nothing much. Be thou my hobby. Oh, for a couple tongues to sing. Oh, how I like Jesus. Oh, 
pillow of ages fluffed for me. I surrender some. Sit up, set up for Jesus. Take my life and let me be. But instead, God says, no, take my life and let your will be. Let's give ourselves away. What has God promised to replace it with? Quickly, he tells us in his word, we're going to gain some things this year. 2018, we will gain some things. And for the future to come, what are we going to gain? First of all, we'll gain earthly provision. We'll gain earthly provision. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 31, you see the verses there. He says, seek my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. God never promises that we'll get rich fast or that we'll get popular fast if we serve Jesus. Sometimes we go the other way. But God does promise us, I will provide for your needs. This reminds me, if you know somebody who comes to Bible Center who has needs, physical needs that need met, every month or every couple of months we do a benevolence offering. and We want to help you. You're connected to Bible Center Church. We want to help you. Sometimes, depending on uh, the relationship, if we know them or not know them, sometimes we'll partner with Union Mission. But if you're sitting here today and you have a need and you're going without something you need, we love you. We want to help you. Don't go another day. Let us do what we can. And there's a way to do it. You can email Pastor Chad, stop up and just ask for a a quick uh, application at the info desk. Email me and I'll make sure it happens. I'll connect you with Pastor Chad. We love you. We want to show God promises to provide for our needs. Not always our wants, but our needs. But he also promises heavenly rewards. Not only earthly provisions, but heavenly rewards. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 and and verse 23, he says, Rejoice in that day because great is your reward in heaven. People who have sacrificed, the people who have invested in the kingdom. He says in Luke 12, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Luke 14, 14, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The bottom line is this. When you take your last breath, everything that you have is not going with you. I've done a lot of funerals, and I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, ever. You don't get to take it with you. And so our job as brothers and sisters in Jesus, and my job as your pastor, is to tell you, don't live for the now. Live for the then. When we think of 2018, instead of thinking, what can I get? Or even us as a church thinking, what can people do for us? Instead, let's shift our focus to say, how can we love this city in magnificent ways? As we think that way, then we understand the heart of Christ. God says, I'll give you what you need earthly. I'll give you your provisions. I'll give you heavenly rewards. But there's one more thing that's even greater. And he says, that is, I'll give you an eternal family. I'll give you an eternal family. Reading through the gospel of Luke this week, over and over again, Jesus says things like this. I tell you, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who need not repent. Luke 15.10, in the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
And Peter said to him in Luke 18, 28, Lord, we've left it all. Peter was so humble. Lord, we've laid it all on the line. We've left it all to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, no one has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God and will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. This week, we had a dear friend, not sure about her faith in Christ, and this week bowed her head in our church and accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. The pastor, after he got done talking with her in confidence, came into my office, and that pastor said, Matt, there is nothing I'm going to do today that's more important than what I just got to witness, to see God open a woman's heart and accept Jesus Christ as her Savior. He said, essentially, it's like pulling out the seat at the banquet table of heaven and inviting more people in. This past week, I got a, a Facebook message from somebody who was here last week, a, a good friend of mine, he, and he said, or a, becoming a good friend of mine, he said, Matt, I have been searching for a new church lately, and I knew once I visited Bible Center, I'd found the right one. Thank you for your message and giving me the courage and the first step towards surrendering myself to Jesus. The message opened my eyes and I was one of the people at the 1030 service, the one of three, who raised my hand to accept Jesus in the closing prayer. This is what it's about. We're going to grow deeper. We're going to plant our roots. We're going to mature in our faith. But it's not so that we can just be mature. It's so that we can produce more maturing followers of Jesus. And on that great day, there will be more people who lived in Charleston and South Charleston and Alum Creek and Boone County who will be there because we took the gospel to their front door. Think of the reward in heaven. The reward won't be stuff. It'll just simply be seeing them there. Here's my main encouragement today from Luke chapter 9. My main point. Take care of God's kingdom and he'll take care of yours. Take care of God's kingdom and he will take care of yours. As you this year make up your mind and make up my mind to worship God with all of our hearts to dive in and jump into a group. As we serve the Lord in various ways, as we give of our finances, and as we give our lives at work, at home, the Lord will may call us to give up some comforts, maybe some traditions, maybe even some close-knit friendships or circles. But when we do, we can be assured He will take care of our earthly needs he will give us eternal rewards, and we'll have an eternal family that's bigger than when we started. Take care of God's kingdom, and he will take care of yours. Let's bow for prayer. God, thank you for brothers and sisters. I'm so excited to do life with them this year. I pray that as we love them and lead them, that we together on the journey will catch this vision for Charleston that's as big as the one Jesus has for Charleston. Father, now as we finish out this service, help each of us to take one step, just one step, towards following you more faithfully than we did when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.